Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Yeah, there's there's no question to know. David Lean. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. Hey guys, welcome back to the Seek Outside podcast. Today we are going to do a recap of the recent caribou hunt trips we've gone on. Ryan went on one with his uh, friends and family. I guess his dad. Just my family, yeah. His, yeah, just his family. They're friends too. And then uh, me and Kevin went on one with uh, everybody from Seek Outside as well as our therapist, physical therapist for, uh, you know, all the injuries we get back there. So, who wants to start? Yeah, we probably could have used a mental therapist as well, Men- but... Mental therapist would have mm-hmm. been good. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, I don't know, I mean, our trip was a lot of fun. We had, we had a good time. Um, it was one of those things that sometimes you're kind of like, well, it's cold and raining for a long period of time. You start to doubt the fun, but... Um, then at other points you look at it and you're like, wow, that was a blast. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Maybe we're just gluttons for punishment. I don't know. Um, I'm very happy with how the hunt went, how it played out, um, the animals. It was, it was myself, it was really, really cool just uh, seeing that many animals. Um, what a cool species. Oh, yeah. um, what cool country as well. It's a different type of remote. Um, the outfit we went with, 40 Mile Air, they were first class all the way. No complaints over how any of them treated us or anything. I mean, they gave us first class treatment. So, um, it was now expense-wise. I've had people ask me about it, right? I'd say it's probably, you know, plan on probably 5,500, 6K. You know, being a Colorado hunter that usually just hunts Colorado, first it seemed kind of expensive to me but you know our other people from tennessee that hunt colorado they were like well we spent three grand going to colorado to hunt elk so it really isn't that bad so So you're talking about fifty five hundred six thousand for per person yeah yeah that was it was about 35 for transporting and tip and 800 for a tag right so so you're in that um, we used points to fly, um, so we really didn't pay much for the flight up there. Um, there was some rental car um, fees. We had uh, a night at a couple nights at an Airbnb, and then we had expediter fee. And Owen and I went with Alaska Trophy Express. You know, the big mystery to us was getting everything back. I knew I knew we could take stuff on a plane. But I didn't really want to take stuff on a plane. We already had a bunch of gear and stuff like that. And uh, hotel in Fairbanks was extremely expensive if you could find one. So instead of messing with all that, 
we really just put it on Alaska Trophy Express. Um, the boys from Tennessee use the expediter because they don't live that far from Nashville. Being here in western Colorado, um, we're quite a few hours from any Alaskan terminal. One of the things we're going to work on improving is trying to become a known shipper, either through Alaska and then have it come from Salt Lake to here, or perhaps through Delta, which flies to Grand Junction. You know, that's, that's one big thing that we could take away that could make things a little bit smoother. And we might be able to use that for business stuff because we ship a lot of gear to Alaska and stuff anyway. Yeah. So, right. That was definitely one thing that <clears throat> I think we underestimated when we were going up there um, was just the, the issue of getting everything back. You know, so <clears throat> you get up there, you get a caribou. Um, you know, there's, I think a lot of people don't realize all the steps that have to be taken, um, to get that caribou from, you know, out in the bush to back home. Um, and that was one of the things that we kind of experienced and we had to, we had to kind of play it by ear and, and take it on the run. Um, but what you don't realize is, you know, a lot of these, um, so we were in a different spot from Owen and Kevin here. Uh, my party, we went up to the Brooks range. Um, North Slope. Uh, so we flew from Colorado to Fairbanks, from Fairbanks uh, to Bettles, and then from Bettles, Alaska, which is just a tiny little airstrip. We took that and and got out in the bush there. But um, you know, you don't think about you have these three different places. Well, I mean, it's really like four or five, depending on what layovers you have. Um, you know, in your your Alaskan flight just to get to Fairbanks. Um, but uh, that was one thing that we didn't really have planned because you have to take it from the bush and then you got to bring it into Bettles. Uh, and then on that flight, you're just taking a little, you know, we took a, a, a DHC um, beaver, which fortunately we didn't have much of a weight limit, um, but there is a space limit. Uh, so you have to, you know, factor that in when you're when you're cutting the um you know if you're trying to take antlers back you got to make sure that they are within the size constraints um and then from bettles you know you got to make sure that the game bags are are completely sealed you got to make sure that you got a cooler to put everything in uh you got to make sure that if you want to take the antlers out you got to have uh you know garbage bags wrapped over the antlers so that there's no blood seeping through uh you got to put them in game bags <clears throat> you got to put them in, you know, you got to triple cover all your, all your bases there, um, just to get them from Bettles to Fairbanks. And then from Fairbanks, uh, what we ended up doing was we went through, um, uh, there was a tannery there. Um, and I think you guys ended up going yeah, to the same guy, same Big guy. Al. Yeah. Um, and we actually had him ship our antlers back, but, uh, in order for him to ship them back, you got to cut one of the antlers off, uh, and then you got to wrap all that stuff up again. Uh, so that's, that is something that's, that is quite the chore when you're trying to get everything back is just figuring out the logistics of all that stuff. Oh, and yeah. I know you guys kind of had the same experience. Yeah, the, logi the logistics were one of the more daunting things. Um, spent a lot of time reading, researching the logistics. And, you know, there was nothing really conclusive. I mean, I listened to a Gritty podcast. He was like, we fly with him. I talked to Brad Brooks. He's like, oh, we just took a skull cap and had our taxidermist 
make it into a new animal when we got back home. And I mean, they can do all that. I really wanted my animal to be as close to my animal as possible, right? I didn't want it to be like, well, I got the two antlers from my animal and then a reasonable facsimile um, with someone else's hide and stuff, right? Um, and we had the, the boys from Tennessee, they rented a U-Haul truck, a small box truck. And quite frankly, that thing, that thing was great. It was cheaper than a rental car. There was no way we were going to get our gear in the little Jeep we had yep. um, with our antlers. We'd have been looking pretty clampet going down the road, having, <laughs> having caribou tied outside right. and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it you know, the U-Haul truck was, was really good. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole logistics of the trip is crazy. I mean, yeah. just from flying out, you know, we flew out of Salt Lake, so we had a four-hour drive. Flying out of Salt Lake, and then you land in Seattle, or at least we did, and we ended up flying to Anchorage because we went and did a little bit of a family trip uh, before that. But, you know, just that, you know, waiting on your gear to show up, you know, make it, hoping, it, hoping it shows up. Um, so that the whole trip can go accordingly and then making sure that you guys have a car and making sure there's just thousands of steps almost, you know, to get to the final end product. And, and once you've gotten the animal and you've flown in and everything, it's just more of that, just more logistics. And and I don't even know if for you guys flying in for me, I mean, I had kind of a naive thought on the flight flight in. I thought they're going to put, uh, Nathan and, um, Jeff in an airplane and fly him pretty much back and they'd be at camp and they'd have a camp set up and firewood for us and cooking dinner, you know, because they'd been there all day, you know, and the weather kind turned kind of bad and Owen and I had to probably wait another five hours before we hopped on a a bush plane, right? And then we flew into a wilderness landing strip. But, But that process of just even getting in and out was really close to a full day process each time. Oh, yeah. it, w- it wasn't like, hey, can you come pick us up? Yeah, we'll be there in 15 minutes and, you know, in an hour and a half you're touching down back in town. It was like uh, three, four hours maybe. And, I mean, they were very good about it, communicated excellent. But then you go to a wilderness strip, go to another plane, you know, will all this fit? Let's weigh it all, make mm-hmm. sure it's going right. to all go in this plane. Okay, yeah. okay, we got the weight here, you know and stuff and then from there out so it it took quite a while well they say you know you got to plan at least at least two days on either side of the trip um, of your actual hunt just in case weather comes up but also for all that stuff you know like we Mm -hmm. had to get we had the same process you know we had to get weighed and you know they they had to wait for the right weather pattern to come through to be able to you know there's maybe five six hours a day where they can actually fly people out um, and actually on our, on our way back in from the bush, uh, the day after that, uh, we were stuck in battles, uh, because it was just rain and snow all up in the Brooks range. And, uh, there was probably four or five groups of hunters that were stuck there an extra day. And at that point, you know, it, if you don't plan extra days on either side of your trip, it's going to be cutting into your hunt. Yeah. We, so. were, we weren't necessarily, uh, our trip was a lot shorter than we had initially planned. Yeah, um, we did pretty well. We hunted fairly aggressively. Um, it was quite fortunate though because the next day it seemed like the caribou dried up in our era, oh, yeah. area, you know. And it also, 
you know, they asked us, well, do you guys want to come out? And we were kind of wishy-washy on it. And they were like, well, the weather's supposed to turn pretty sour for a few days. And so it's like, yeah, probably if we wouldn't have went out, if we'd have said, no, we want to sit back here and wildlife watch for a while because we did see wolves, wolverines, other stuff. We weren't, we weren't having a bad time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we might have been stuck there several more days. Yeah. And so there's just take the opportunity when it comes and exactly. uh, get get out of there yeah you know? i think the the people that run the operations like we went through um Bettle or uh, brooks range aviation uh to get out to our spot and they're they're amazing um same thing i'm sure with 40 mile air they communicated perfectly but you could tell that they were used to people like us coming up and having no idea yeah. what we were doing and um you know they basically every time they told us they were just like well you know we'll take you out when we can <laughs> and, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. kind of the way it is um so did you guys have any big things that you would have done differently uh on on your next trip um i would have there, there's some small gear adjustments i would do differently there wasn't anything super uh super different um i've done two trips up in that far north country um now and i think that i'm just going to go with the wet feet waiter route you know the wet mm-hmm. waiter sock route and i'll just wear something like this um you know maybe you can keep but your feet dry but like for instance on your stock um trying to keep your feet dry on your stock would have possibly resulted in spooking the caribou Exactly. It, you know, and so I think I'm just going to go with the same stuff, but neoprene, have a dry, hot sock. I think tent-wise, we all took pretty much solar shelters, and then we took a prototype smaller hot tent. That was all good, um, but I think I would probably next time say, let's take uh, a Cimarron and a stove and a nest, and depending on what we learn when we're taking off, we either take or don't take the nest. Right. The, the inner. Like, are yeah. we going to be in a really buggy location? Okay, well, we'll take the nest in a stove or, or something. Or if we're not, you know, because there's there's so much flexibility with that setup. And it works really well for two dudes. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And that's 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 the other thing is, is when you're flying out, you don't know where you're going, really. You know, we were, yeah. we were supposed to go on a ridge. It's kind of where we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And then last 10 minutes before nathan and jeff took off or probably not 10 minutes but last last little bit before nathan and jeff took off they were going to a valley you know yeah you know with some water right next to it so it really all changes so quick that you can't predict every piece of gear you want to take you know being on a ridge top you would have wanted to have you know a real wind resistant tent you would have wanted to be able to go down and get water real easily have a lot of water storage and all that so it's just it's hard to predict, for yeah. sure. Right, right. Yeah, I took a, I took probably a few too many clothes, mostly in the base layers. Yep. I think somewhere I got lost in my mind and was like, oh, I'll throw another uh, another top in yeah. or whatever. Um, but everything else, there, there was, I mean, I would change my stove. I was using a uh, MSR wind burner, which is a great stove, and I took it with a with the skillet for it. But when it came to cooking, I wanted a little more simmer control, so I'd probably take like a, a pocket rocket or, or something like that that I could control a little bit better because we did make 
tenderloin and reduction sauces and that. And with with the uh, wind burner, it was kind of hot and fast or not really cooking much at all. There wasn't much in between. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, we we took. Um my dad had his jet boil, which we took for, you know, boiling water, making dehydrated meals. Um, but then we also took, I just have like a little camping Coleman propane stove uh, that we took that's pretty lightweight. Um, and we took that and it was a it was a pretty good option because you could have your water boiling for, uh, you know, we did a lot of, did a lot of like top ramen plus, uh, you know, dehydrated veggies or something like that or you know, we did uh, beef jerky that we'd just throw in water. Um, and so it was nice to have two different stoves to where you could be doing, or like in the morning, you know, coffee on this one, breakfast on this one. Um, that was one thing that we discovered, like you use a lot of water when you're- Oh yeah, especially <laughs> those dehydrated meals. Oh you man. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we had some meals that we made ourselves that were really good. Yeah. Plus a few others. Um, one thing I would take another tarp. Oh um, yeah. We had a DST, which, um, fantastic tarp. I mean, obviously, I'm a little biased here. But, um, you know, it was like camp tarp, and we threw a lot of extra gear under it, and we would sit under it in glass when it was raining and stuff like that. But when we had four animals down, we didn't really have enough tarp coverage for rain and sun and stuff like that so i would take a very light five by eight tarp just for that i would carry it in my pack and an extra one because we could if we would have had four or five days of rain i'm not sure if we really had enough tarp coverage for what all we had out there yeah i, th- I think i think we could all benefited from having something like a dst you know um would have been nice to have at least two tarps in camp to hang out in Mm-hmm. And spot around in like Jeff and Nathan were under the DST and then it would have been really nice to have something to cover up the meat with once it started raining for yeah. sure so yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um that was one thing that we kind of struggled with because we had you know we had an extra day uh after we had tagged out um you know we decided we were going to stay the extra day um and that was the extra day that we had was actually the one day that the sun came out we had bugs and stuff like that so we were definitely uh scrambling pretty hard that last day to just keep the meat both fresh um you know we we actually had a bunch of caribou shed horns around camp that we kind of propped the the meat up on to keep it aerated but um we could have definitely used another tarp uh just to keep everything shaded um what what did you guys, how was the weather like when you guys were up there? It was bad. pretty bad, right? <laughs> it, it, it was cold. Pretty bad. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it rained for about 36, 40 hours. <laughs> okay. We were pretty socked in. We really couldn't see the mountains above us. Um, the cloud deck was pretty low. Um, the first day we could hunt, we decided to go after it anyway. We caught a couple glimpses in, in cloud breaks. Um, we got up under some ridges it was uh windy wet we did a stalk we on uh, some bulls that we spotted in uh in a little basin um somehow we jacked that up uh we got really close we played everything perfect and then we thought that we could play it just a little bit better and we backed out and went around and they were gone mm. at that point um then 
then we used the hot tent a little bit and um, uh, we found a dead tree up on the hillside or a tree that had some partial dead and just cut off some branches and threw it on our pack and yep. took it down to camp and and that kind of brightened our spirits and then Cindy here got on the scoreboard um, with his bull and then after that it was game on and and we went from there yeah so explain us explain to us your hunt man well first caribou it was number one an awesome learning experience um i had heard somewhere (laughs) that since their eyes are kind of more on the side of their head that they didn't really see depth perception as well as we do and uh we were going to go initially run up this one drainage with Nathan, uh, me, Kevin, and Nathan. And uh, I look across the hillside and, what, 1,000, 1,100 yards away, right? Yeah. Um, there was a whole herd of caribou, and one of them looked like a nice bull. So um, I was like, well, there's no way we're going to go around them, you know? Like, So we went straight at them. Um, Kevin stopped probably like 600 yards. I stopped at about Four, I think. About four. four. 420. I kept walking straight at him. We were walking super close. And I got up to 280 eventually. And they were all bedded down. So I was laying there prone for 30, 45 minutes. Back was hurting. I was like, I yelled. I was like, hey, boo. You know, like they tried to clap. I was just kind of hoping Kevin would walk around or shoot his gun or something to make him stand up. And eventually Kevin walked to the side a little bit and they stood up and I, I got a good shot on him and shot him at 280 and was super stoked. He was a really good bull. He was definitely, or not definitely, but he was the smaller one of the group, but I was happy to break the ice and he was still a really good sized caribou and just a beautiful animal. Just oh, unbelievably pretty. <clears throat> They're extreme animals. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but we saw... We saw four or five car- different caribou that were limping, um, and kind of what we surmised from the situation was, uh, people, if, if you've never been up there, you don't understand how hard it is to just walk a mile up there. Okay. I mean, it's, it's like you're walking on like a, my brother described it as a field full of medicine balls um, with like, you know, two feet that you're, you're risking of breaking your ankle. So it's like, you know a tussock right here and then for the people watching you got you know a foot until you actually hit the dirt um so it's absurd but what we kind of thought from seeing the the caribou limping was you know if man if a wolf chases you or or something like that and you're running and you just take a wrong step it's it's game over for you but it's it's amazing how they can just split like that in that terrain you know I, i didn't understand it it took us you know 30 minutes to walk quarter mile and that stuff i don't know about you guys but we were in we, we didn't have quite as bad a tussocks we had kind of marshy muskeg sort of stuff and lots then, of lots of brush yeah. lots of brush and the, and then it would open up into more like the mountain type terrain i'm used to um we were at higher elevation we were in kind of a high elevation valley um we had some wolves around and i think they were spooking them on occasion, because occasionally you'd see him on a hillside. Like when I walked sideways and got his caribou to stand up, um, there was across the valley, there was some other caribou that were initially like 12, 1500 yards away. 
and I saw that they were there, there were some real nice bulls in it, and they were coming down. So I was like, well, Owen can't lay there for two, three hours with these caribou. Got to do something. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to walk sideways. By walking sideways, hopefully I get those caribou to stand up, but I'm also going to close some distance to the ones that are coming down from the other, that spooked on the other side. Um, but then they ran off. They got spooked and ran off in another direction and over the ridge and were gone. So... But I thought I was just kind of playing both angles there. Like maybe yeah. they were going to come down as well. So yeah. It was interesting. We definitely noticed that too, uh, just with the sideways versus forward motion. I mean, we, we were able to stock right up onto, onto the caribou that both myself and my dad got. They were kind of out on a point, and uh, we approached them from kind of behind a hill. But we were able to get pretty close to them just walking straight at them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the mornings we had a group, I don't know, probably a mile from camp, and they were kind of going sideways, um, side hilling, um, you know, like I said, a mile from camp. And uh, me and my brother were just got done with our coffee, and we were like, oh, let's go chase them, see if, you know, we didn't think much was going to happen. But um, we, we were kind of camped on the edge of the lake, and, we had to go around the lake to to get to them to cut them off and man it was like as soon as we started walking this way they split and there was you know there's nothing else around there that would have made them run but we were like a thousand yards away but then i also had multiple situations where you know you just get super close to a caribou by just either walking straight at them or standing right in front of them yeah i had yeah. some cows oh, i was up on a ridge in the fog oh yeah the first day we were hunting and i had some cows come up to me at about 20, 25 yards, and they weren't, they weren't freaked out. Um, and then finally, when I went to go get a camera to, and started fumbling around trying to get a good photo, then they were like, "Oh, something's not right here." Yeah. But when it was just me, like directly at them, they 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 didn't care. Me, yeah. and, they, me and Nathan had the same scenario. I think it's the same cows too. Um, they came up to us, and we were just sitting there still, looking at them, not moving. And they kept getting closer and closer, and I was like, "Man, I'm gonna have to spook them off." They were probably like 15, 20 yards away as well, and I was like, "I was like, I'm worried about how close they're getting." Should have brought your bow, man. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a great trip. So for my sleep system, I used the uh, Western Mountaineering Kodiak, and I used a down mat UL. Um, frankly, I could have used a lighter bag. And I could have used a, a lighter pad. If we'd gotten stuck for a couple days, I probably would have been regretting it, you know. Um, the extra pound for those was totally worth it. Um, mm-hmm. The even, even in a really wet climate like that, um, the Western Mountaineering dried stuff out fairly well. Uh, I think Nathan and you had very similar experiences. You guys had... Western Mountaineering bags as well. Um, not a lot else gear-wise. I had a, I used the Lanner and Spectrograd integrated. I didn't really have any problem with water. Mm-hmm. Um, um. Nathan had really good luck with water. He had his seam sealed, and he was quite impressed. I think we're, we're all using Spectre, right? Yeah. yeah, and we are going to be doing some pack dumps here, so just stay tuned for that. But, yeah, I think I was using Spectra and... I mean, we got the whole gamut of weather here, and oh yeah, 
I was I was surprised by the Spectra. It held up really well. Stra I mean, yeah. I mean, strangely enough, that's I tell people on the phone if they want good water performance, go X Pack. But the Spectra was great. I didn't. Nothing in my backpack was wet. Yeah. The um, only downside I could say to it in comparison to the Spectra, I mean, in comparison to the X Pack, was that blood would seem to soak into the face fabric a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I tossed it yeah. in the wash machine when I got home without any detergent, and it looks like new. Yep. And uh, it was no big deal. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any other issues, and it has some advantages to the X Pack as well, and it's a little quieter, a little more supple. Um, some of those things. So we all were we all were quite impressed with it. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to toot our own horn here. Um, Jeff, the Seek Outside physical therapist, um, he had one of the original packs, probably one of the first 15 or 20 we made within some of one of the first ones that shipped. And his pack's still kicking and holding up strong as well. So Still packing out caribou nice. with it. Yeah. That's all that matters. It is, uh, in a, on a trip like that, you really find out what your gear is made of um, because... We experienced all four seasons in five days. I mean, we had a day where it was probably close to 50 degrees and sunny, uh, which for up there, that's summer. Yeah, that's uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, had, we had rain, we had, you know, sleet, and then we had two nights where it snowed on us. And I was, I was overall, like, very impressed with my, my gear system. I had, you know, um, first light underlayers, um, merino wool, which were awesome, warm every single second I was up there, even when I was sleeping. Um, and then I had Kuyu out, outer layers, and then I had a First Light Brooks down jacket. Um, and I was, I was very impressed with everything's performance, but um, especially like with, with the packs, and again, we're, we're biased because we are at Seek Outside, but um, we ended up getting our bowls, uh, myself and my dad, we got them five miles from camp, and you know, like I was saying, we had to hike through tussocks and luckily we had a good stretch, which was mostly on gravel, but, um, it was a long pack out and, um, we had to pack two bowls out and the packs having a solid, well-fitting pack was the thing that saved our lives. Because I, I think about like packs that I've had in the past that weren't fit, fit correctly. Uh, you know, where I might've had a, a hip belt that was too big or too small or something like that. And, I just can't imagine doing it without a pack that fits you. So anybody that's that's going out to Alaska or going somewhere where uh, you really want it to be the trip of a lifetime, just make sure that your gear is dialed in. It's, you know, with so much gear, it's you buy once, you cry once. Um, but when it really, when the rubber hits the road, when you're in the field, when you got to do something that's unexpected, when you got to pack out farther than expected, it's it's really you got to have that gear system dialed in. And I was very happy with how all my gear performed. You know, we had the, we had the simmer on, we used that as our, our cooking tent and it was, you know, it's not known for a space, but we had three of us and we were, you know, playing cards in there. We were cooking everything. We were, uh, you know, that was our, our spot to hang out. Yep. Um, and condensation wasn't really an issue. So I would just say, you know, anybody that's, that's planning to go up there, you don't want to take shortcuts with your gear. Right. No we had two what. prototype tents. You you stayed in the prototype tent. I had, a, 
I had a high degree of confidence in the prototype tent, though. I, I kind of <laughs> that's, that's why you put me in there. The, yeah, I, 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 I kind of know what a good tent looks like, and I think that's a pretty darn good tent. Oh yeah. And the I was, other, I was impressed with it. Yeah, the other tent was a good tent as well. It was a hot tent. Um, Jeff, the SO physical therapist, he really had not experienced hot tenting, and um, I've never. I'm not really a salesman-y guy, even though we're talking up SO stuff. I've never tried to say, hey, Jeff, you really should, you know, anything. And he had to, he came around and he was like, I got to say, this is, this is pretty darn nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you oh, know? Especially when you're that wet. My, yeah. my biggest thing with my gear was after uh, hanging out in Alaska for a week before and drinking beer and eating good food. And then putting on four layers. <laughs> my medium hip belt did not fit me very well. <laughs> and I, I could have very much benefited from a large. Um, that was my own fault because I usually hunt pretty thin layered uh, during elk season because I try and hunt as early as I can. But um, definitely had way too small of a hip belt, uh, especially packing, up, packing out Jeff's because I had two quarters in there with a little bit of uh, scrap meat and it was, uh, it was real heavy. It was all downhill and uh, could have used a bigger hip belt for I had sure. The, I had the same situation. It but, was like you got a down jacket on, all that stuff. You're, if you're close on your hip belt, you're going to be getting some serious hip rub there. I, I didn't expect to wear as many layers as I did. Um, getting used to, after living in Grand Junction for three years, <laughs> I'm pretty used to the 90s and don't find it too terrible anymore. Uh, but then going straight to uh, cold and wet after being in 10% humidity and 90 or 100 degrees was uh, was uh, quite quite exciting for my body. I was I was wearing <laughs> long johns, a pair of pants, first light pants. I was wearing waterproof pants, gaiters with two pairs of socks and boots, like winter boots. And then I had a four or five layers on, depending if I have my rain jacket or on or not, which I did most of the time. So I just looked like a puffball the whole time. You did kind of look like a puffball. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have as many layers on. Of course, I live in a colder climate. Yep. I, had, I had a mixture of Sitka and First Light stuff, and I usually was wearing the First Light Uncompagre puffy. Um, sometimes I was wearing the, the Sitka Kelvin Active. Um, sometimes I was combining them together. I had a First Light Chama, but I had the uh, Sitka base layer, um, the one with the face mask and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I usually was wearing the Sitka on the skin, and then sometimes I would wear one of the other layers, and then I had that, maybe I had on a rain jacket if it was raining. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't too bundled up really there. And then in pants, I was wearing a QU, pair of QU pants, and uh, never wore long underwear or anything like that. So. And funny enough, as we talk clothing, one of the most impressed things I was with gear-wise, clothing-wise, was my very cheap rain jacket from REI. Um, I've had other rain jackets that are twice, maybe even three times the cost that would just get wet or tear or rip up. And granted, the REI one wasn't very lightweight or very luxurious in any ways, but it did keep me dry, drier than a lot of other things. And then I was really happy to have the first light long johns and the first light rain pants. 
um, just because of how wet it was and that that high bear brush we were calling it was getting you wet all over the place so i was happy to be drier than expected <laughs> yeah having a good good pair of gators will take you a long way out there too oh the gators were nice my gators, gators actually it's funny they were gators i've had for 10 years probably and i threw them away before we left toke i decided that they they kept uh sliding down mm. and losing tension really? um so yeah, got out and I was like, okay, I'm I'm improving the gators. So, well, I think it's funny when it comes to all the all the clothing gear, you know, stuff that works in Colorado, twelve thousand feet and everything. You just you just don't generally expect the same amount of weather. You can expect the same temperatures, if not colder in Colorado, but you just don't expect the the wet. You know, the wet just goes down to the bone, and you know, some of the gear choices that I would make, and I would have taken a third of the clothing I took. If I was going up to Elk Camp for seven days, you know, same yeah. same trip, same everything, I would have taken a third of the clothing. I, I would, if I was doing the same trip over again, I would cut back on the clothing from what I took. Yeah. Um, I probably would, I actually probably would move <coughs> towards my Elk Camp clothing. Yep. Which, um, for most Elk Camp stuff, I have used a puffy vest along with the Sitka Kelvin Active. And then I'll change out a bit between a heavier and lighter base layer. And I probably would have moved right back to something like that, combined with a rain jacket that I spend more time in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I probably would have went back, surprisingly, to more of what I usually wear at Elk Camp. Mm. I would have, yeah, I definitely, like Kevin said earlier, brought way too many base layers. They just stacked up. I think you even gifted me one that was just. Just happened to make it in there. I think I brought like three base layers that I didn't use once. I brought like five pairs of socks, just expecting that I was just going to be miserably soaked. I probably had three or four pounds of clothing I didn't use. Uh, yeah, I had a fair amount. Uh, I don't know how it all found my way in the bag. There, there were some mysteries. There was the mystery of how my Leatherman disappeared, only to be found by TSA. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. so I was like, "Hey guys, I've been looking for that." Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, but you know, um, yeah. So I don't know quite how so much. I think I think you just start throwing some stuff in, and no, I'm not at 50 pounds. Throwing something more, something yeah. else. Yeah, um, yeah. It's better to be over prepared in those situations than under prepared. That is true. That's true. Yeah. Now, now another thing we could have done. Although we are a lightweight gear company, so I don't know if we ch- would change this much. I think um, we probably will, if we do this kind of trip again and there's a 50-pound limit, we probably will stick to our 50-pound limit, try to refine. But you could take a gear load for like an extra 1000 bucks, mm. And over the course of, if you split it between the four guys going and you're already paying five, six grand... It's two hundred and fifty bucks more, yeah. and and you could really, with that gear load, you could move from a very basic camp to a relatively swank camp. Yeah. Not not that a hot lightweight hot tent is not swank, but having 
having 50 pounds of wood for your lightweight <laughs> yeah nice dry good wood that's gonna burn hot that's that's real, right real right chair there. instead of a 14 ounce stool real yeah. chair yeah, camp some, stove propane uh, yeah, that yeah. an extra bottle of whiskey kitchen we could have used an extra bottle of whiskey that's two sure. bottles of whiskey yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 a little more a little more liquor and um yeah some stuff like that yeah. Pro, you, you you could you could go at that point, we would have been we would have been happy if the weather socked us in. We'd be yeah. like, "Oh, this is this is luxury. This is better than home. This is awesome." Pounds. Exactly. Well, I'm not working. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> Anyone want to go fish grayling? <laughs> uh, I, I would, I would have, I would take a Tinkara rod the next time. Yep. Too. Um, With yeah. Some bait. Yeah, the opportunity to uh, for with a three ounce rod to go catch a bunch of little fish you know it is pretty cool yeah you know so you guys didn't take any fishing gear huh no no jake gave us a little bit of line um he was kind enough to do that from his emergency kit okay um but and we tried tying the line on a caribou antler um didn't work that well for us yeah no see we tried fishing we brought all the flies we brought brought a three weight an actual reel couldn't didn't get anything to bite they were they were rising all around our flies but we just didn't have the right combination didn't have the right combination that was the one thing that like our trip could have used to make it like it was perfect as it was but that would have made it some, just some ultra. surf and turf yeah some surf, surf and turf, turf out in the woods but, yeah i think overall it was an amazing trip and i would definitely recommend it to anybody just to to be up in a spot where you know few people have ever walked for me was one of the coolest parts i mean like you get up there and the first five seconds off the boat or off the plane you're just like soaking in the silence that has existed up there forever and uh it's it's weird you get used to it and it's just it's really cool having uh you know just unplugging from everything uh, it, it is it's kind of like well um get off the plane and kind of like well We've done it now. Yeah, uh. yeah that's exactly what we, It's like, well, uh, but, but you guys had silence. We had, we had sonic booms over camp. That's yeah. true, yeah. yeah. You guys had yeah, we fighter jets. Would, I remember the first time I heard one, I was like, I thought somebody was just over the hill shooting a tank. A 338. It, it just yeah. the loudest crack I've ever heard. Li- louder than any lightning I've even heard, really. It was crazy, that sonic boom. But, no, it definitely is... I mean, my biggest takeaway is, I mean, number one, it's, I love living in Colorado. I love seeing all the pretty places, but Alaska is un, uncomparable. You can't show it in a photo. You can't show the air. You can't show the experience. You can't, the vastness. It's just, it's somewhere you have to visit to truly experience any of it. And honestly, I was cold for the whole trip, but you know, after getting home and having just time to decompress and think about the trip, it's not only a once in a lifetime, but I, I want it to be a multiple in a lifetime at some point. It's no, I'd agree with that. And I thought it was kind of funny. Like Nathan, um, I saw him post on the hunt talk forum and he said, cause Jeff, the physical therapist posted a recap there. And, you know, Nathan was like, I was so far out of my element. Oh yeah, and I loved every second of it. Yeah. You know, that and, was the thing. You know, yeah. that was that was kind of the thing. And I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't even back in Toke when I was really kind of thinking about, hmm, I'll do this again. You know, I, it was um, a flat out for me. I was like, because yeah. <sighs> like the the whole last day, I was like, man, I can't wait to get home. You know, and then as soon as I got on the plane, I was like, I really don't want to go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So. Well, after after not sleeping for forty hours, I was really stoked to get home. But uh, yeah. the day or two days after, I was like, "Oh man!" Yeah. And yeah. to the guy who kept waking Owen and I up every time we tried to find a place to nap in the airport. Oh yeah. You know. We we thank you. You know for yeah. for pushing our limits at the very end of the <laughs> yeah trip. for pushing our, our 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 ability to stay awake limits because he was not on our flight, but he somehow found us again in a different airport. When Owen and I found a spot that we thought we could nap, and proceeded to chat with us about his time in Alaska. Oh, at, at that man. at that point, we were just like, "Screw it, we're gonna we're going, <laughs> yeah. we're going to the coffee shop." Yeah, it was like, <laughs> if, oh. this is, "If this is how it's gonna be, we're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna push our limits here." Yeah, yeah. So, so cool. Well, well, yeah, that was that was fun, um, guys. Definitely stay tuned. We're gonna be doing uh, some pack dumps. Um, social media we're already releasing videos and pictures and stuff like that so we definitely appreciate it if you guys check those out uh as always we have an email if you have any comments questions concerns especially about alaska we're experts now just kidding <laughs> not even close that. not, not even, even close, close. <laughs> but uh you can write in uh podcast at seekoutside.com uh, or dm us on instagram facebook uh, facebook all that good stuff uh Check us out on YouTube. We got plenty of instructional videos. Like I said, we're going to be doing some pack dumps. Check us out. Um, and thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Seek Outside podcast. Hope you enjoyed it this week. Remember, we do have an email address if you would like to leave any questions, comments, concerns. We'd love to hear that feedback. Uh, that email address is podcast at seekoutside.com. So feel free. We're always here. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.